If you would, uh, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jude. And you may already have it open there. But if not, you can find it pretty easy. Just open the back and move that Revelation backwards and you'll hit Jude. And uh, while you're doing that, the great Bible teacher, Warren Wiersbe, once said that there ought to be one more beatitude. You know what the beatitudes are, right? Blessed are the... He said there ought to be one more. And it was pretty interesting what he had to say. He said there should be one more beatitude, and it's this one. Blessed are the balanced. Blessed are the balanced. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. The idea of balance. Uh, We have a tendency to get unbalanced, don't we? We tend toward extremes in things. Uh, If we're not careful, this can happen in our own personal lives, uh, in our family life, and also can happen in our church and in our ministry. You know, there are churches tonight that almost spend all their time uh, focusing on one thing. Uh, In other words, they might spend all their time evangelizing But they spend very little time making disciples of those whom they win. Uh, Other churches may be the opposite of that. They may spend all their time in Bible study and prayer and never, ever go out and seek to win anybody to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you might have another church and, and they spend all their time in worship. And so they're worshiping and they spend very little time evangelizing. They spend very little time in discipling believers. There needs to be a balance in our lives and a balance in the church. Uh, We know that scripture, as we study it, there's there's several purposes and things we'll be doing as a church. Uh, I heard it put this way to be able to remember it. It's been helpful to me. Uh, The purposes of the church. Uh, Every dead frog must wiggle. Now, doesn't that bless your heart? Every dead frog must wiggle. You say, what in the world is that? Well, it's the first letter. Every dead frog must wiggle. Okay? And those are the five purposes of the church. What would he be? Evangelism. What would he be? Discipleship. What would F be? Fellowship. What's fellowship? Two, two fellows in a ship, right? <laughs> fellowship. What would M be? Ministry. Ministry. And what do you think W is? Worship. Worship. So, every dead frog must wiggle is just an easy way to remember those opening letters. You remember what the purpose of the church is. Every dead frog must wiggle. So, so we're to be involved in evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, Ministry and worship. Uh, here we put all those under a mission statement. Three G's. If you can remember the three G's. And you can boil them down to three words if you want. Glorify God. Grow more like Jesus. Go with the gospel. So you can just say glorify, grow, and go. Rick Warren, whom you probably have heard of, well known from Saddleback Church, said that the key issue of the 21st century church would not be church growth, but church health. Think about that for a moment. Not church growth, but church health. And so someone said, well, what is the secret to church health? What is it that we need to have for a healthy church? And he said, in a word, balance. 
Balance is the key. He said your body has nine different systems. There's a circulatory system, the respiratory system, the digestive system, the skeletal system. I don't remember the rest of the system. It's been a long time since I've been in school. But he says when these systems are out of balance, what happens to a person's body? Yeah, they get sick and, and, and they're not healthy. Well, in the same way, when the church gets unbalanced and maybe it tends towards extremes and emphasizes one to the exclusion of others, we're not healthy. We're not healthy. And disease occurs. And while Rick and I would not agree on everything when it comes to uh, church philosophy and methodology and all, I think he's right on target in saying that. Uh, we need balance in the body of Christ. And I say all that tonight because that's what we're going to look at as we look at Jude. Because tonight, Jude, as he's writing to these believers, he brings about this balance in their, in their lives. Now, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the apostates a lot. I told you last week, I can't wait till we get done with the apostates. Because the apostates are not the most pleasant people to hang around with. And so we have the apostates here, and these are those men who crept in unawares, and they were denying the, the deity of Jesus Christ. They were denying the grace of God. They were seeking to shipwreck the church, if you will. They were infiltrating the church. They're not true believers. They profess to be Christians. They're not Christians. They're false teachers. They're sensual. I mean, we've, we've been painting all these pictures of them. But I want you to notice the words, if you're in Jude now, the way that uh, Jude 17 and 20 begin. Jude 17, the first three words are these, but you, beloved. Verse 20 starts this way, but you, beloved. In other words, I'm not going to give all of my attention to these apostates. Wow. Yeah. I think they got all y'all's energy because y'all don't look like that. Uh, but anyway, he says, but you, beloved. In other words, I'm not going to give all my attention to these apostates. I'm going to give attention to you who are believers. I want to talk to you in the midst of this apostasy. Uh, we need to remind them we're having Bible study in here, I think. Okay. They're apo- do they look sincere? All right, we'll accept them. All right. All right. We accept. All right. Now, if they weren't sincere, we weren't going to, we weren't going to accept the word. Now, knowing all of this, you've, you've read with us to the book of Jude. What does Jude instruct these believers to do? Those who truly love Christ. Does he encourage them to give up? Does he encourage them to turn back? Does he encourage them to turn around? No. Uh, what he's really going to talk to them about is, listen, you can't ignore the apostasy. You cannot ignore it. If you ignore it, you're going to be in a heap of trouble. But your full attention cannot be given to these apostates. And I want you to catch that. They had to contend for the faith. They had to guard. They had to warn. But that is not all they had to do. I know of churches tonight, and I can take you to them, where their main focus, it seems to me, is to point out what other people are doing wrong. In other words, their whole focus is to point out apostasy and false teaching and even to go beyond that, anybody that doesn't dot every I and cross every T like they do, they spend loads of time and attention and even money to focus on false teaching. And they do that to the detriment of the purposes of the church. Now, should we deal with apostasy? Yes. We cannot ignore it. Jude has already told us in verse 3, earnestly contend for the faith. And we have to do that, but we can't live there. That cannot be the focus of our ministry. And so I want you to see that. 
And I said again, what? Blessed are the balanced. We want to be balanced in our ministry. So he's going to tell them several things here that he wants them to do. And as we start out tonight, I'm going to give you six action words. And uh, I hope you'll take these down at least mentally. And we're going to center our attention around these six action words. We'll begin reading there in verse 17. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. Now, listen, they were told, first of all, to remember who were they to remember. What were they to remember? According to those verses. Well, it says what? Verse 17. Remember the words of whom? The apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now. Listen to what Acts 20, 29 and 30 has to say. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. He says, listen, I believe what he's why he's telling this is to encourage them. In other words, what's happening to you is not just something new. Don't be caught off guard. The apostles talked about this. In the last times, these false teachers, these wolves were coming among the flock and seek to devour them, seek to lead them astray. It's not something new. It's not something strange. These apostates are not Christians. So don't be just totally knocked off center here. Realize that you've been warned about this. These people are unbelievers. They don't have the spirit of God. They're sensual. They're perverse. Now, turn back in your Bible. Let's look at, put a marker there in Jude. Turn back to 2 Timothy 3. And uh, we want to look there at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want you to follow along, and I want you to think about where we live tonight. As we look at this passage, I want you to, to think about us and think about where we are and think about what he's telling us here in this passage. Paul, writing to Timothy, his son in the, in the faith, says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, these words. 2 Timothy 3, 1. But know this, in the last days perilous times will come. Now, I want you to notice what he says. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people, hug, love, and fellowship with them. Is that what it says? No, it says from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, Drop down... To verse 10, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Look at verse 13, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you... Now, notice he didn't just stop there. He didn't just stop in his instruction. He said, listen, spend all your time with those type of people. Spend all your time focusing. He says, what? But you must continue the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. 
And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for Dr. C.I. If you want to uh, memorize that verse, I always think about Dr. C.I. Say, what? That's another little help there. D.R.C.I. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That what? The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, he says, listen, the apostates are real. They're there. The false teachers are real. They're here, they're here in our world, in the church body as, as at large. But it cannot become our whole focus. We've got to remember them. We've got to deal with them. So remember that. But he didn't stop there. He doesn't live there. He says what next to him? He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build. Look at verse 20 again. But you, beloved, I'm looking at Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Think about that. Build. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Now, what faith is he talking about here? You know, there's saving faith. There's all kinds of different types of faith. We might talk about if you will. He's talking about the faith. He talked about the faith back in uh, the third verse. Uh, where he says to earnestly contend for the faith. Now, what is the faith there? Well, it's the doctrine. It's the teaching of the word of God. It's the faith. So I want you to build yourself up in the faith. In the midst of this apostasy, in the midst of the world going around you, what do I want you to do? I want you to build yourselves up in the most holy faith. How do we do that? How do we build ourselves up? Well, listen to some scripture. And I meant to give this to you in little slips of paper if you look up and I apologize. But let me just read them for you. Acts twenty thirty two. So now, brethren... I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of his grace, the word of God building you up. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing how? By the word of God. Hearing by the word of God. First Peter 2, 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So how do we build ourselves up in the faith? Well, we build ourselves up in the faith through the word of God. We must study God's word. We must study God's word. If we're going to be built up in our faith, we've got to study God's word. Why? Because in the midst of all the apostasy and false teaching around us, we need to be able to discern between truth and error. I remember one pastor that I had come and preach revival for us one time. He was talking about how money inspectors uh, go about their job. And he mentioned the fact that they don't spend all their time uh, studying uh, fake money. They don't spend all their time studying uh, counterfeit money. They spend their time, according to him, studying the real deal. And they take a real piece of money and they study that thing through and through. And they become well acquainted with the real deal, the real uh, currency. Why? If they know the real deal, when a fake comes along, what's going to happen? They're going to spot it. Now, sad to say, a lot of us, if we were true, uh, truthful with ourselves and with other people, we're kind of like the store clerk. They don't do this with fives very much, but if you hand somebody a 20... Uh, what do they usually do? They, they reach down and pull out some little marker, don't they? And they mark on that bill. And uh, Does anybody know what's going to happen if it's fake? Changes color. Changes color, okay. 
Well, we're kind of like that at times. What is, what is that cashier doing? That cashier, sometimes I have seen them hold it up to the light at a certain bill and look for a little strip. But they're, they're putting their confidence in that little marker, aren't they? Uh, their boss, their superior says, listen, when you get a $20 bill or a $50 bill or a $100 bill, if you can get him out to take those anymore, if you got any, I'll take them. Anyway, um, they're saying, listen, I'm putting my faith in that marker. We're a lot like that at times. Rather than being able to discern for ourselves truth and error, we look to somebody else we respect or admire or love or we think really knows the word, and we look to them to be the marker. Yes, that's right. No, that's wrong. But God wants us to know ourselves, doesn't he? He wants us to study. He wants us to be acquainted with the truth. And Jude says, listen, I know all this is going on. I know all the apostates are out there. I know all this false teaching is going on. I want you to remember. I want you to contend for the faith. But I don't want you to stop there. I want you to build yourselves up. I want you to know the word and know the truth. So, so far we're told to remember what the apostles said. Secondly, we're told to build ourselves up. Now, third, if you look back at Jude again. And verse 20, it says next we're to pray, we're to pray in the Holy Spirit. So the third thing we're to do is we're to pray. Now, prayer is vital. (laughs) Prayer is key. Prayer is so important. I don't really believe we realize what we have in prayer. I, I just do not believe we really understand what is available to us through prayer. I'm just convinced of that. I would argue with you about that unless you're... Uh, just a, a, a mighty prayer warrior. I think most of us do not understand what we have in prayer. Prayer is the declaration of dependence. Prayer is saying to God, we need you. We're not sufficient. We're not capable. He says, I want you to be praying in the Holy Spirit. I, I know a couple of people that I read today in studying this made a, a valid point. And they said the early church and believers who read about in the Bible... Uh, they, didn't, they didn't read books on prayer. Uh, they didn't attend prayer seminars. Uh, they prayed. If we're honest today, we like to read books on prayer. We like to talk about prayer. We like to attend prayer seminars. It seems like we do everything but pray. Now, is there anything wrong with learning about prayer? No. The disciples went to the Lord Jesus once and said, What? Lord, teach us to pray. I mentioned to the group on Sunday night at our prayer meeting, they never went and said, Lord, teach us to preach. Did you ever notice that? Lord, teach us to pray. We talked very briefly about what it must have been like to actually hear the Lord Jesus pray. How awesome that was. But these saints here, they didn't go and get books on prayer or, or seminars on prayer. They prayed. And it says here that we're to be praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? To be praying in the Holy Spirit. Well, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean we bring our Christmas list to God. Uh, a lot of us pray that way, don't we? Lord, give me this, give me that, give me that yonder. And while you're at it, give us this as well. Now, is anything wrong with taking your needs to the Lord? No. Even the model prayer tells us that. But a prayer in the Holy Spirit means that I'm praying according to the Word of God and the will of God. Romans 8, if you want to look over there, Romans 8, 26 and 27, gives us a little help about this. It talks about the Holy Spirit in our prayer life. And you have to remember now, every true child of God has indwelling within them God the Holy Spirit, right? If the, if the Spirit is not in them, He's none of His. He doesn't belong to Christ. Romans eight twenty six and 27 is interesting. 
a guy came up to me after church. I think he's going to, he was looking at this for brotherhood maybe coming up, and we were talking about it a little bit after church Sunday. Romans 8, 26 and 27, likewise, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, also helps us in our weaknesses. Aren't you thankful for that? Keep reading. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Now, don't close it up here. Have you ever been there? I've been there many times. I, I don't know how to pray, Lord. I, I don't know what to say. Uh, I don't know how to pray for this person. Listen, we have to pray God's will be done. I know it's hard, but it's not always God's will to heal someone here. It's not always God's will, will to, to, to protect somebody. If it is, then he failed miserably with the missionaries that have been persecuted and the martyrs that have died. We pray according to God's perfect will. He says, we don't know how to pray as we should, as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. With groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now those verses are jam-packed. Well, let me just point out a couple things to you. God the Holy Spirit prays for us. He intercedes for us. Now here's the awesome thing about it. Several things here. Number one, he always knows what to pray. Number two, he always prays according to God's will. He's God. He always prays according to the Word of God. Why? He's the author of the Word of God. And number four, he always gets his prayers answered. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Now, as a believer, listen, I, I hope you pray for me as your pastor. That's the greatest gift you can give me ever. Praying one for another is an awesome thing. But listen, here's some wonderful news. The Holy Spirit prays for us. And what's Jesus Christ doing right now? He's ever lived to make what? Intercession. He's praying for us. Now, if that didn't thrill your heart, something's wrong. That should tickle you. That should thrill you. God, the Holy Spirit, is praying for us. Now, he says back in Jude, what? I want you to be praying in the Holy Spirit. So what's he mean by that? I want you to pray according to the word of God and the will of God. And I think that's being focused upon Christ and his kingdom. We get so self-centered. Should we bring our needs to the Lord? Yes. Should you bring your burdens to the Lord? Yes. But our prayers cannot just be that. They must be, if you will, kingdom-focused prayers. Where it goes beyond me and mine and my house and my family. And it goes beyond those things to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. In the midst of this apostasy, he says, listen, you've got to remember the apostles talked about this. And also, listen, you've got to build yourself up in the most holy faith. You've got to be in the word of God. Thirdly, you've got to keep praying. And pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray according to the word and will of God. And then number four. You want to guess what number four is? You find it there in verse 21. What's the action word? Keep. Keep. Keep what? Keep yourself in the love of God. Now, when you read that one, beloved, that may seem a bit confusing. Keep yourself in the love of God. So is he saying that we can remove ourselves from the love of God? Because don't we read elsewhere in Scripture that what shall separate from the love of God shall, and it goes through tribulation, distress, all that, and no. So what's he mean there? Well, I think uh, McDonald helps us listen to what he says it means. He says the love of God can be compared to the sunshine. So once you get that picture in your mind, the sun shining down. He says the sun is always shining. 
But when something comes between us and the sun, we're no longer in the sunshine. That's the way it is with the love of God. It is always beaming down upon us. But if we sin, but if sin comes between us and the Lord, we're no longer enjoying his love in practice. We can keep ourselves in the love, first of all, by lives of holiness and godliness. And if sin should come between, then we should confess and forsake that sin immediately. The secret is to let nothing come between us and God. He's talking about the love of God, the love that God has for us. That's a love that keeps on going and, and never stops. But we surely can put ourselves in a situation where we're not enjoying that love, can't we? Uh, David sinned with Bathsheba, lived all that time hardening his heart. Finally, he's confronted. He goes and prays in Psalm 51, that great confession of prayer. And he says to the Lord, what? Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. We don't hurt the relationship when we sin, but we sure hurt the fellowship. I've used this example many times, but I can't think of a better one. You and your child, me and my child. Nothing they do will ever stop. Uh, the fact that they're my child. I don't care what they do. They'll always be my child. Now, when they do wrong, it sure hurts the fellowship. We enjoy that. Uh, sometimes we even have to discipline our children. Well, think about that in regards to your Heavenly Father. Nothing you do can remove you from the love of God, but it sure can hurt your fellowship. Sometimes he even has to bring chastening and, and discipline in our lives to correct us. He says, listen, live lives. What he's saying is live lives of holiness and purity and obedience. Even though the, the battle's raging around you, times are tough, the apostasy's all around you, he says, listen, I want you to keep yourselves in the love of God, enjoying his love. Uh, one of the ways we do that is obeying, right? John fifteen ten, The Lord Jesus, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. He wants to abide in his love. So we know so far then, we're to remember then what are we supposed to do next? Build. Pray. Keep. Boy, we've got big words here tonight, don't we? But they're big truths, aren't they? What do you think number five is? Look at verse 21 again. Look. Thank you. Look. Verse 21. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, who are we looking for? The apostates? Well, yes, we have to do it with the apostates, right? We look around at those around. But who are we all be looking for? Jesus. We're looking for the Lord Jesus. We're looking for him to come again. We talked about that last week. Remember, we did a, a brief summary of, of, of eschatology, the study of last things and prophecy. We talked about the rapture and the second coming and all those things last week. We're looking for the Lord Jesus to return again. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Now, listen. We can't forget that in the midst of our world. I pulled out the newspaper before I came over tonight. Um, the boys have been misbehaving. We sent them to the rooms to play. Danielle's getting ready. So I decided to go in and pick up the newspaper for just a few minutes. Talk about discouraging and depressing. I mean, every page, the government's trying to keep running, and this country's falling apart, and this and that and the other, and... Uh, grocery prices going up and gas prices going up and this person's been killed and had that funeral for the police. I mean, just on and on and on and on and on. But it's going to end. I'm looking for Jesus. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Listen, we shared this at the funeral the other day, but I want to share it with you tonight. It's not just for funerals. If it's appropriate tonight, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. 
God's word is given to us to encourage us and to comfort us. In fact, this passage even says that it's given to us to comfort one another. First Thessalonians four thirteen through 18. First Thessalonians four thirteen through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or those who've died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then who, we who are alive and remain shall be called up. If you don't like the word raptured, use the word called up. We'll be called up. That's what rapture means. Be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Listen, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you've gone through so far this week. But child of God, I want to encourage you tonight. To look up, Jesus is coming again. This is not all there is. This is not all we have. We are going to be with the Lord Jesus in the midst of the apostasy, in the midst of the false teachers, in the midst of those who are spreading damnable heresy, the wolves among the sheep, in the midst of all that. He says, listen, look up to the Lord. Look to Jesus. Look for Jesus. Look for his appearing. And we say, even so come, Lord Jesus. Even so come. So you see, we're making the point, aren't we? It's about balance. Yes, we have to deal with the apostates. Yes, we have to deal with false teachers. But we don't live there. We don't stop there. We keep doing what God has called us to do. He says, listen, in the midst of this apostasy, I want you to remember what the apostles said. This is going to happen. I want you to build yourself up in your most holy faith. I want you to pray in the Holy Spirit. I want you to to keep yourself enjoying the love of God. Live lives of obedience and holiness and righteousness. I want you to keep looking for the Lord's return. But then there's one more. Last but not least. And that is this one. We're going to call it rescue. Rescue. There's some folks that we need to be out rescuing. Verses 22 and 23. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now, be honest with you. There seems to be some disagreement among good Bible scholars about who we're talking about in these verses. Uh, Just to quickly sum it up. Some see these as believers. All these people in verses 22 and 23 are believers are struggling. Others say, no, these people in verses 22 and 23 are lost people that we're seeking to win for the gospel. Then others say, no, the people in verses 22 and 23 are actually both. There's saved people that are struggling and there's lost people that we need to reach for Christ. Some even see three groups of people there in verses 22 and 23. Now, I'm talking about about good Bible scholars. So what do we do with that? Well, let's let's try to dissect it real quickly. I believe, and I give that to you, understanding that I may be wrong. Uh, But I believe that what we have here is basically two main groups. Two main groups of people. And and both of them need to be rescued. Now, the first group I think you find in verse 22. Let's read that verse 22 again. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. Does anybody else have anything different in your translation? And have mercy on some who are doubting. Okay, doubting. Are anybody else? 
Alright, thank you for reading that, Lynn. I believe what we have here in verse 22 are Christians who need rescued from the false teachers. They're doubting. In other words, they're being influenced by these apostate teachers that crept into the church and they begin to deny the deity of the Lord Jesus. They begin to deny the grace of God. And, and they need to be rescued. And notice it says there on some have compassion. Making a distinction. So the idea is this. If I'm correct in my interpretation, there were brothers and sisters in Christ who were beginning to doubt and be influenced negatively by this false teaching. And he's saying to those saints, listen, move them with compassion and help them, solidify them, rescue them from this false teaching. Deliver them from that. And listen, we need to do the same. If there are those tonight in our own body, in this own church, that are maybe struggling with false teaching or something else. And listen, it's everywhere. You can go and flip on the television and go through all the religious channels. There's all kinds of stuff on there that's wrong. We need to be teaching the truth. It goes back to what? Building yourself up in your most holy faith. Knowing God's word. Now, verse 23, I believe we have lost people. We have unsaved unbelievers who need to be rescued from eternal hell. Because it says in verse 23, but others. So we notice there's a difference, right? But others. It's definitely a different group of people. But others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Anybody else have anything different? I didn't look at all the various translations. I know some are different. All right, let's look at that then. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defined by the flesh. These appear to be lost people headed for hellfire. And he says this, you need to pursue them. You need to reach out to them aggressively with the gospel. But at the same time you're seeking to win them, you need to be careful. The last part of verse 23 says what? It says, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Here's what he's saying here. Be careful as you're trying to reach these people that you don't get involved in their sin. That's what he's saying. We have to be careful of the same thing. We have to reach out to the sinner, don't we? We have to reach out to those that are lost. But while we're trying to reach out for them, we want to keep our testimony for Christ and keep ourselves pure. We don't want to get involved in their sin. Right? Listen, I'm not going to go out tonight trying to reach someone who's an alcoholic and go down and start drinking with him in the bar. Because what's going to happen is, well, being that I've never drunk, I'm going to be drunk. It won't take long to get there, will it? And I'll end up in their sin. Instead of helping them, I'm going to hurt my own testimony and hurt myself. Now, can I reach that alcoholic in other ways? Absolutely. And you understand there, some believers have gotten themselves in trouble trying to help people. Be careful about that. While different scholars have different understandings of who these people are, we can agree on this. These believers were to care about other people. They were to reach out to other people where they were. Uh, whatever position you might hold on that, these are believers, unbelievers, both or whatever, we can truly make the point that they were to care about other people and we're to do the same. We're to contend for the faith. We're to, we're to stand up for the truth. But at the same time, we're to reach people with the gospel. We're to disciple them. We're to have fellowship. We're to have ministry. We're to worship the Lord Jesus and lift him up. Listen, in our own denomination, 
And in all honesty, you all have been in, many of you have been in this Southern Baptist longer than I have. Okay? Praise be to God, we had years ago what, was, what they've termed the great conservative resurgence. What does that mean, preacher? Well, it means that we believe and we stand upon the inerrancy of Scripture. We believe that this is God's word and everything in it is true. We've had the great resurgence, the conservative resurgence, but now it's been pointed out, and we've, we've even voted to have it, that we need it. We need the great commission resurgence. We need the great commission resurgence. Why? We need to get out the gospel. It's not enough just to defend the faith. We've got to declare the faith. We've got to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen. I know of churches, I know of groups that focus a great deal of time and attention upon the false teachers and apostasy and all that. But you know what else I know about a lot of those churches? They're not seeking to win people for Christ. And I could speak that from personal testimony. We're to be what? Balanced. Balanced. Remember Nehemiah? Nehemiah faced a lot of opposition, didn't he? I mean, every time you turn around, verbal opposition, uh, threats of physical opposition, harm, trickery, deceit, laughing at him, all kinds of things. It got so bad that they, they had to not only carry around their trials to work on that wall, they had to carry around the sword, didn't they? They had to be prepared to defend themselves. They spent their time, if you will, prepared to battle. It boiled down to really building and battling. That's the Christian life. We're building and battling. Yes, the false teaching. Yes, the sin. Yes, all this is here. We're battling those things. But at the same time, we're building ourselves up. The enemy is real, but our mission is clear. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, here's what I want us to do in our remaining few minutes tonight. I want us to take these things, these words, these action words, remember, build, pray, keep, look, rescue, right? I want you and I, I want us tonight, I want us to apply this to our lives. The book of Jude wasn't just written so we have a neat little book in the Bible we can talk about Wednesday nights. We live in dark days, don't we? We, we live in days, you know, read that Timothy passage didn't it describe a lot of what we see today? Men are lovers of themselves and hate that which is good and all that. So let's do this for the next few minutes. I want to take these off. I want you to help me. And, and together, let's talk about how do we apply these things to our lives, our church, and where we live. It's not enough just to say, well, that was great. You told them to do all those things. What does it mean to us? What does it mean to us tonight? So you help us tonight. And I want to share some things here, and we'll just share for a few minutes. How can we apply these things to our life? You just go ahead. You don't have to go in order. Just throw some things out there. And... Well, remember, for me, it's consistent Bible study so that I don't learn it today and lose it tomorrow. Okay. So that would be remembering Bill, right? You're remembering what you've been taught in the Word, and at the same time, you're building up yourself in the most holy faith. You're growing. So, Bible study. By the way, why is this is called application, right? We're applying God's Word. Why is application important? Because 
God gives his instructions in the Bible. That's right. And, and this book is not just for information. It's for transformation, right? Whenever we come to God's word, it should change us. We should be open to the Lord to speak to our hearts. So, all right. Good points there, Miss Lynn. All right, somebody else. What else can we take away from tonight as we apply God's word and what we learned in Jude tonight? All right, prayer. All right, I don't want to elaborate on that. I'm actually right when you can read my writing tonight, aren't I? That's, a, that's an improvement. One time you said about uh, being like a computer dial-up yeah. versus DSL and online all the time. Yeah, yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. You know, if, if we could be online all the time, Instead of getting away and having to say, hey, wait, I need to send a prayer up. Yes. If we would stay online. That's a good I have a problem with that. It worked and getting involved. Yeah. We went to, what is that store called next to the shoe store there in the Walmart? Is that a shoe show mm-hmm. in Wadesboro? And uh, I got to hear that dial-up noise. I said, I can't believe you're still using this. But you're right. We, we like that way a lot, don't we? We, we? we connect and we disconnect. Whereas the Bible says to pray without ceasing and have that constant communion. That's good. All right, somebody else. Y'all are tired. I'm tired too, but I can't go to sleep. I'm standing up. For me, it's it's recognizing opportunities because sometimes they're just little brief moments in in your day that you have a chance to say a word or do something. And if it goes by, it's lost and you can't go back and grab it in that same context. So, in regards to rescuing... Yeah, well, yeah, with with other people. That that point where you can inject something to make a difference. So taking advantage of the opportunities that present themselves, even just a word for Christ. Good. Something else. It's like pulling our teeth in here. We list the words. All right. Well, we have remember, we have build, we have pray. We had rescue, we had look, and keep. Is that six? I didn't count. One, two, three, four, five, six. All right. Now, now it's going to be a change. We're going to turn the corner right here. Now, listen to them out there. So, here we go. Anybody? This says looking for the mercy. We should constantly give. And that is a great encouragement in the midst of dark days and in the midst of apostasy to realize just how blessed we are. Uh, we, we don't boast that we know the truth. It's by God's grace that we know the truth. We could have been brought up as a Mormon or a Buddhist or anything else. But God graced us and gave us his mercy in, in having us understand the gospel and come to it. Very good. Anything else? Through the thanks and the mercy with the looking, we look to Jesus for forgiveness. Yes. We look to Jesus and, and for Jesus, don't we? 
Anything else? I'm not going to keep you. I want you to come back next week. We're going to finish out Jude. Compassion. Absolutely. And that comes in here with the rescuing, doesn't it? Our, our motive for reaching others with the gospel should be, of course, we're wanting to be obedient, but we also love the Lord and we love other people. Um, we laughed about it when we had our Sunday school care ministry meeting. A couple of you may have been in there, I think, but uh, we talked about one of the characteristics of a care leader was the fact that you have to care about other people. And if you don't care about other people, we need to find somebody else to do your job. And somebody made the point, well, I forget how exactly they said it. You may be in here or something about, well, uh, do you remember what was said? Um, how can you be a Christian if you don't care about other people? Okay, so yeah. How can you be a Christian if you don't care about other people? We need to ask some people that. But anyway, um, we have to have compassion, don't we? And that's not always easy. I don't know about you, but some days I don't feel like having compassion. I feel like having anything but compassion. Uh, but we're, we're to be compassionate people and seek to reach people where they are. And remember, we thought we saw in, in the passage there that it was not only lost people, but also our brothers and sisters in Christ who were struggling. We have a lot of people that are struggling today. Maybe it's not. Maybe with doubt or false teaching. Maybe something else in their life. We ought to have compassion to move in and help those people. Anything else? Well, we'll say again, blessed are the balanced. And we need to be balanced. So let me ask you real quickly, what are the five functions of the church? What are we supposed to be doing? (laughs) (laughs) Something about a frog wiggling. Every dead frog must wiggle. That's right. And that stands for what? There you go. Every dead frog must wiggle. Uh, that was told me well, but I guess I think Buzz might have told me that first. I don't know where he learned that. I don't know if he came up with himself or was told it. We like to pass those things along, you know, you learn something and uh, so but that's a good way to remember. That's what we're here to do. Uh, we we boiled it down to three G's here. Um, glorify God. Grow more like Jesus. Go with the gospel. Let's pray. Next week, God willing, we'll finish up Jude. Then we're going to launch into John, uh, a chapter in John, and a study called Abiding in Christ. And we'll also have a little book for you for, to have for that one. So you'll get that when you come uh, on that Wednesday night. Father, we love you and praise you and thank you for your grace and your mercy. Help us to be balanced, Lord. Help us not to go to extremes, Lord, except in our love for you. Uh, Help us to fulfill all the things you've given us to do. Lord, give us a heart for souls and evangelism and missions. Uh, Lord, help us to disciple people and see them uh, learn and grow. Lord, help us as as we continue to to, uh, minister, to have that fellowship one with another. Help us to minister to those within the body of Christ and, and in our community. And Lord, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I praise you for these folks that have gathered tonight. Thank you for their kind attention. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your holiness. We love you. We praise you. We honor you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.